Hey, it's the good folks at Comics for Fun and Profit reminding you that nobody Patreons like we Patreon. So join us at C4FAP and go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and sign up at a level of your choosing. There's various tiers with various goodies for you. Somebody, Something that everyone gets at any level is you get to be a part of our Slack channel community. And you get early and ad-free access to all our episodes. But wait, there's more. So go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and check out all we have to offer. We urge you, sign up today. Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing writer Curtis Clow. He is here to promote his new graphic novel, Beastlands, Keepers of the Kingdom from Dark Horse. Now, this is his first big direct market release. This first volume contains the first five issues um, of his um, Kickstarter series called, correct me if I'm wrong, it's called just Beastlands, is that correct? Yeah, that's it. Okay. And then um, it's going to be released on June 29th in comic shops and in bookstores on July 12th. Now, of course, listeners, you know, when you listen to this episode, you know, um, you know, the book will be out in stores, you know, ask your local comic shops to order. it. If they don't have it, just ask them to order it. Curtis, welcome to the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Jason, I'm doing good. Thank you very much for having me. No, thank you very much for coming on. Now, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background of your, um, your comic book work history. Now, and correct me if I'm wrong at any point, or if you want to add anything, or just, just feel free to just jump in, don't worry. All right, so since um, 2017, Curtis has done 15, one, five, 15 successful Kickstarters, um, and the funding was over $200,000 on this platform. Now, some of your, now some of Curtis's Kickstarters have included Training Wheels, uh, Mini Issues, that was a 11 by 15 print in 2019, The Wild Cosmos, that came out in 2020. That was a Kickstarter. And correct me if I'm wrong, it's now available through Scout Comics. Is that correct? It's not out with Scout Comics yet. Uh, we still have two more issues on Kickstarter, and then it's going to be released with Scout Comics after that. But okay. uh, those, those first few Kickstarters were actually back in 2017. Yeah, that was, that was when Training Wheels and Wild Cosmos was back then. Okay. All right. And then, of course, and then your Beastlands. Now, was that back in 2021 or a little bit the first, uh, we've done like seven Beastlands Kickstarters now. The first one was back in 2019. I think we were able to pull off three Kickstarters for the first three issues back in 2019. And then we came back with uh, the next two issues and one Kickstarter in, in 2020, and it really blew up. And then we've done a music Kickstarter for a theme song for the whole series where we're doing like a vinyl and, and full like orchestra theme. Uh, I got really lucky for that opportunity. A, a uh, composer named Nolan Markey, he lives pretty close to me and he works on like the Star Wars series and stuff. And he, he was just a fan of the series and we just became friends and he ended up making a theme song for uh, for Beastlands. Everybody loved it. It got a, like an amazing reception on YouTube and stuff. And then so then we did a Kickstarter for like a full album now based on music off of that first volume. And then besides that, we also did another Kickstarter for the first two issues of volume two, uh, issues six and seven. So we've done a lot for Beastlands. Holy cow. Okay, I'm going to go off the cuff. Um, you, you mentioned that there's a, um, like a, a kind of a soundtrack it's on YouTube work. So how can working listeners, you know, 
find it on YouTube. Now yeah. I want to check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it sounds amazing. It's like about a two or three minute song. Uh, it's just a Beastland's main theme. So if you YouTube Beastland's main theme song, it should pop up. Um, it's it's like a like I said, it's, it's uh, you can see like the orchestra performing. It's the Budapest Scoring Orchestra. They perform that whole theme song. And it's like edited so you can like watch them perform it and then they're going to be recording the whole uh, album as well we're still working on it it should be done in a few months but it'll be fun once we have that whole album done have like the vinyl release and cd and then being able to watch all you know the, the budapest orchestra scoring being able to watch them to perform the whole album it's uh just pretty crazy it's cool holy cow. okay i'm going off the cuff and holy cow <laughs> this is amazing curtis i mean i mean we're going to get into your origin a little bit in you know just shortly but that's just incredible. I mean, you're already doing all this, before, you know, and, and yeah, so like I said, but it's just amazing. And I probably will get more into it, you know, when we start talking yeah, about the origin no. story, how you got into comics. Oh, my God. It's super surreal. Like, I, I love, uh, I love like, uh, themes for, like, music or for uh, TV and movies. I love, like, soundtracks and, and for video games and anime. Oh. So it's super surreal. I don't know if I ever thought I would have, like, an a orchestra performing a theme for my comic. Like, that's not anything you ever imagined could happen, especially not this early on in my career. But yes. just super lucky. Made friends with Nolan, and he's a great composer. And just great working with him and collaborating with him, getting to, like, in, put my input on the uh, songs and stuff it's really fun it's pretty cool okay all right so i'm gonna slowly start um continuing on and then and then um you did um another kickstarter that was very successful campaign that recently wrapped in me and that was majestic volume one a beautiful um it's a beautiful fantasy adventure is that correct yeah that one actually was this past december it finished in january yeah yeah um, that was, uh, yeah, Majestic. That was my, my fourth creator owned comic series, my newest one. Uh, we did the whole graphic novel for that one. That was my first time ever kickstarting like a full graphic novel about four issues of content instead of going like issue by issue. Yes. So it was just an experiment and it was really successful and we're still working on that series. We should have it done hopefully this fall, uh, the full graphic novel, really looking forward to having that finished. And then, and then correct me if I'm wrong, you had another successful Kickstarter that just recently wrapped too. Um, slightly exaggerated um, number issues one to four. Um, it's a treasure hunt fantasy adventure. Is that correct? Yep. It actually wraps up tomorrow. So by the time this airs, it'll already be out. Uh, it wraps up on June 8th, uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. And it's, uh, yeah, just another crazy successful one. This one we do issue by issue. Uh, this is for the next two issues, issues three and four. So it's a four-issue miniseries. And this is like my third creator-owned uh, creator comic series. It's another fantasy adventure with like whimsical flying sea creatures, talking animals, lots of weird stuff. It's just a really fun series to work on. And then we'll see. It, it, it's been uh, like this past Kickstarter that's about to end tomorrow. It's It's been really successful. So maybe we'll come back for a volume two. We left the ending open so we could do more in this world if we want. Wow, that's great. Now, okay. Um, I'm going to ask, um, did I miss anything? Or do you want to add anything to your to your incredible list? No, I think you got it covered. Uh, besides that, I just do some video game writing work. I do some freelance work, some stuff that's not announced yet. Working on like a, a web comic original for a big company that's not announced yet, and uh, just pitching to some of my favorite companies. So hopefully, hopefully in the future I'll have more to share. Uh, but for now, that's that's most of it. No, but I mean, like I said, we'll, we'll touch upon your origin story in a bit, but. It's just amazing what you've done in literally in five years. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. So, okay. All right. Um, now, before, before I um, 
continue on, I want to let the listeners know that I did get some information um, about Curtis from the um, the Comics Beat article that Curtis had sent me that was dated um, December 17th, um, 2021. And I also got some information, the background information on Curtis from a podcast called Why Comics. That was episode 78 that just came out on May 4th of 2022. Now, Curtis, um, where can listeners follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm at Curtis Klaus, so just my name on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, and, and I have a Facebook page as well. And uh, my company is 2infinitystudios.com, and I have a portfolio, curtiscloud.com. Okay. All right. Now, um, so I'm going to ask, we're going to just, I'm just going to start off just, you know, where did you grow up? I grew up on the East Coast in Maryland. Uh, so I grew up out there on the East Coast and moved to California when I was 19 mm-hmm. uh, out on my own. And then... I started getting into comics once I moved to California. I was always kind of drawn to them as a kid, uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't really quite know where to, where to buy them. I would get them from like Borders. The uh, It was a music store we had over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would just get random issues and stuff. But I never would read anything monthly until my early or my early 20s, like late teens. I started getting into a lot of image stuff. And that's mm-hmm. where I like fell in love with comics. Now, the other thing is, um, um, actually, I'll, let me ask this other question. Then I'll go back to the image stuff. It's like, you know, do you remember what was your first either comic or manga that you read? Um, as a kid, uh, it had to be like a Spider-Man or Wolverine. Mm-hmm. I remember I, I got like a Silver Surfer comic from like Burger King. So it might have been that <laughs> one, too. And then that's when I would like try to make them as myself as a kid. But I don't even know if I actually like read it all the way through. I don't know if I understood even how to like read comics and the way the word balloons flow and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um Besides that, uh, when I really got into them, I, I can't even remember what was the first one that I read. It might have been something off Kickstarter or something from Image. Wow. Okay. All right. And then um, correct me if I'm because I'm going to hopefully I got this correct. And also um, you enjoy anime. Do you remember what was your first anime that you watched or? Oh, yeah. I love anime. Big. I uh, still watch a lot to this day. A lot of yeah. anime movies, a lot of anime shows. Uh, Studio Ghibli, big fan of all of their stuff. Princess Mononoke is probably my favorite of their films. Uh, mm-hmm. Miyazaki, huge fan of his whole career and everything he's made. Uh, but Princess Mononoke might be the first like anime movie I've watched. I remember as a kid watching that. Uh, I grew up in the 90s and that came out, I think, late 90s, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Pokemon, if Pokemon counts as anime, that's another yeah. show that grew up watching that. Cowboy Bebop, Samurai Champloo, two of my favorites, all-time favorites, too, that came out back then that I really loved. Oh, okay. All right. Now, I'm going to kind of go back to, you know, that you read, you know, that you were reading Image Comics and stuff. Because, um, and, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, some of your favorite writers were, of course, Robert Kirkman, Rick Remender. Is that correct? Yeah, big fan of them. I mean, Kirkman, he's obviously just an inspiration on uh, how successful he is, what he's done with The Walking Dead and Skybound. Mm-hmm. And Rick Remender, I really love his writing style. He's somebody who really influences me. And I mean, I'm just inspired by everything I read from him. Cy Spurrier is another writer that I just really love all of his work, all of his like, fantasy stuff, Coda, Step by Bloody Step. But yeah, there's just so many uh, great writers out there and that have come before me that I can look at their careers and really get inspired by and try to follow what they've done. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask, did you ever meet them in person, whether at a con or at a store signing or? No, never. Uh, I mean, it'd be cool. Maybe now that I'm going to a lot of conventions and stuff, I I almost feel like they're so big that they don't go to many conventions anymore. Uh, But I mean, yeah, it'd be be cool. Hopefully one day I'll get to meet them and uh, just let them know. Thank you for, you know, showing me how it's done. Yes. And I'm sure that's going to be amazing. I'm sure it's going to be amazing when you meet them and for them to hear your background. 
Yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. Okay. Now, um, let's see. Um, I know you grew up with, like, you know, Pokemon. Um, I remember, I think, one of your, you mentioned in, in I think, the podcast, I, um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Was that another one that you're... Yeah, um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Yu-Gi-Oh! Digimon. They're all kind of these similar that were, I think they're all from, like, the late 90s-ish, early mm-hmm. 2000s, and they were all kind of similar, trying to, like, go on that t- sort of Pokemon hype. Uh, Digimon might have even, even come out before Pokemon. I don't remember, but... Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I just loved all that stuff. It's just really, really imaginative, imaginative stuff with these kind of like pocket monster type yeah, stories, yeah. Uh, all very similar, but they're all great. And uh, back then, I mean, that was my whole life as a kid. Pokemon, loved it. I'm going to ask, did, did you like getting into the cards or figures? When oh, you were yeah. A kid? Oh, loved it all. Yeah. Watched the movies and theaters, watched all of the uh, anime shows, had the cards, mm-hmm. had a whole mm-hmm. binder full of holographic cards and stuff had these stuffed animals i would go to uh i think it was barnes and nobles back then or some bookstore yeah. back then where you could like actually like play the card game and i would try to play that and uh, the game boy game loved it as a classic oh, that's nice now i'm gonna ask do you have do you still have any of the cards the pokemon cards sadly no and they're starting to become worth a lot now these days so <laughs> i was just asking my dad if he still had them in like an attic or something but uh, i think he got rid of them sadly I had, I had a binder still back then but not anymore but who knows, right? Who know? Who knows? Maybe you know. It could be that one box in that corner, right? You know. Yeah, it could <laughs> be. Actually, I gotta go. Now. I gotta go search myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, this part here. Now, listeners, you know, um, this is the part I wanted to talk to Curtis about. Is that, you know, that, you know, as listeners, we know that there's a lot of ways to breaking into comics, and there's no two ways. No two ways are the same. And this part here, you know, I'm, I made it clear to Curtis, I'm not going to, it's not grilling questions. These, it's kind of a process question section where the purpose is, you know, hopefully to provide insight and also spark create, creative ideas or inspire someone, you know, who, you know, always wanted to um, create their own comics. Now, um, Curtis, I'm going to ask you, you know, like, um, when you, because um, I know you said that you mentioned like, you know, when you read, read the your first Silver Surfer comic, that you kind of start to make your own comic. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because um, from a previous interview, you, didn't you like sort of made your own comic, you completed it and everything? Yeah, I did back uh, as a kid. I, uh, I mean, I, I might have been in middle school or late elementary school. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember draw, I would draw and write my own comics. Um, and I mean, I didn't know what I was doing and how to draw or anything, but I was just practicing. It was just good practice telling stories. I, w- I was writing my own stories a lot back then. And I was just something I was always drawn to and loved. Okay. And then, um, like, I'm going to, um, and then I'm going to, I'm just asking. So, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just asking like, you know, uh, you know, did you take any um, English literature classes, writing classes or, you know, you know, like when, when did you, when did the spark for you to finally go, I, I want to do this as a career? Yeah, I, uh, I was always into English class and a lot of it bored me. But whenever it came to creative writing parts, uh, that's what I really loved and would like try hard at. And same with art classes. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of it was boring. But when it came to actually drawing and stuff, I really loved those parts. Sadly, those parts weren't big enough that uh, it didn't. Uh, I didn't actually get to practice enough back then in school. But uh, probably in college, um, I still didn't take any creative writing or anything. But uh, once I started working full time after that, 
Um, I, I was really trying to learn how to draw better and write mm -hmm. better. And I just kind of like searched the web and tried to like search on YouTube and read writing books and pretty mm -hmm. much self-taught that way and hiring editors to review my scripts and stuff. And that really helped me learn a lot, but ne never really any creative writing classes actually. Yeah. No, but, but I, and this is the part where I think it's really amazing is that it's all, you know, that I, you know, it's, you know, there, um, it's again, it's like, um, there's no right way. There's no right path to writing. Mm -hmm. And it, and what's pretty cool is that um, he did all the self, he, it's all self-taught. And I thought, I think the cool thing, because I remember you mentioned in um, the podcast and a different podcast that you hired editors. Yeah. That, that's, that's something amazing. I highly it's, recommend because like, even if, even though you're not taking a writing class or anything, it's almost like having like an instructor or a teacher, like review your stuff. And these editors aren't going to hold back. You're paying them, but they're going to be hard on you. And they're going to let you know what you're doing wrong as far as storytelling. And, and even just like in comic scripts and stuff, it's really important to get feedback on your comic scripts before you actually start working in comics and working with artists. So, so that your comic scripts are really good. I, uh, I, I, I know this is an off the cuff question. Like, um, I'm, you know, like, what, what, like, um, what, you know, like on the internet, you know, is there a certain website? If someone is interested in just either being a novelist or a comic book writer, is there a certain website that's pretty, you know, legit to go to a hiring editor? Uh, I mean, you can just search on like Twitter and stuff and search if any comic editors are available. Uh, a good one that I've worked with before is Mike Martz. I mean, he's an editor who's worked for Marvel. Yes. He's the head He's the head editor of uh, of Aftershock. And even, yes. even though that's his full-time job, he has a website called The Comics Coach where you can hire him to review your stuff if he has time. You pay him and he'll review your your story notes or uh, or your scripts. Wow, that's pretty good. Um, and then... Um... Let's see. Um, I'm going to now I know in 2017, you started your Kickstarter. Can you talk about what made you decide to do? What made you decide to go? You know, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to make my own comic, you know, explain that part. Yeah, I was a starter too. You know, yeah, <laughs> I was a fan of Kickstarter ever since it started. I think it started in 2009, 2010. I think mm -hmm. I was still in high school at the time, and uh, I remember seeing it, and I was just always drawn to it. I was like, this seems like a great idea. Like, mm -hmm. it, if you just have an idea and build a page on Kickstarter, and you can find fans that want to back it, then you get money to actually make it. Because that's the hard part about comics is is it's as a writer you have to pay for everything you have to pay for the art you have to pay for the printing mm -hmm. and unless you you're rich and have a lot of money you can't really afford it you can't afford to make comics so this is an opportunity for you to get your start and create your own comics uh and, and make something so that mm -hmm. maybe you can have a career in the future without uh it's just it's just an opportunity to do that without being in debt and putting it all in credit cards and stuff and you can actually build a fan base over the years through kickstarter too so yes. i just knew kickstarter seemed like a cool thing i i was actually thinking of kickstarting a game at first and uh, that's a lot of work uh, to, to build a game alone. It's not something I'm quite ready for. Uh, mm -hmm. So then I transitioned into writing a story for a comic. And uh, that, that was when I also started falling in love with comics at the time. And that's where I realized like comics is probably going to be my medium of choice for, uh, for writing. 
And then uh, it just, it was a lot of, I mean, I, I probably had the idea to do it for a year or two before actually launching in 2017. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot of prep and a lot of work, a lot of mistakes, mm-hmm. working with artists, finding mm-hmm. new artists. And then finally was ready to just launch it. And you just had to, just mm-hmm. had to do it. And luckily it worked out. It was a grind, but I think we got funded on one of the last days for that first Wild Cosmos Kickstarter, but it was a grind, but it worked out. We got funded. We did it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, um, one, th- I, j- I just wanted to, um, and, um, I just wanted to ask, um, um, where is my question? You know, um, did you like, you know, before you started your kicks, like you said, you know, you're toying around the idea at first, did you prepare, you know, how did you prepare to do a Kickstarter launch? Did you, you know, look through the internet for, you know, um, Kickstarter tutorial or anything like that or definitely yeah there's a good podcast called comics launch with Tyler James where he really gives like he's got over like I think 300 episodes now that are just all about launching comics on Kickstarter so back then I just listened to all that content I found a a blog from Jason Brubaker he was a guy who used to make a comic uh, a comic blog and then he would give like helpful advice on his blog about making comics and Kickstarter and he, he launched a bunch of really successful Kickstarters and, uh, and then also just by backing Kickstarters, like I just backed a bunch to try to learn from them and see what they were doing right, see what I could improve. And my first Kickstarter was actually for the training rails. It was just a mini print. So I started really small. It was like 12 backers, a couple mm-hmm. hundred dollars. And that was my way to kind of just learn the Kickstarter, uh, just learn how Kickstarter works and, and get, you know, just improve myself. And then later that year, we actually came back and did the Wild Cosmos issue one. So just starting small and then, you know, coming back later that year with that full issue. Holy cow. That's, I, I have to say that is amazing. I mean, that is really, that is amazing because I mean, you know, you prep, you know, um, because it's, and like, like I said, like I said, Curtis, when I was looking through your background, listening to the interview, it's just amazing what you did and how to break into comics. And it wasn't just some, because you had a plan of, okay, I want to write comics, but I know I can't just write and throw it out there. I, I need to have some guy, professional guidance. And you reached out to editors, which is kind of scary because you're kind of going, ah, I think my writing's okay. And someone's going to go, no, 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 man, this looks pretty good. No, no, you know. Yeah, definitely scary. I mean, you're getting feedback on, uh, but I mean, you learn a lot. Like yes. those first, those first times working with editors, it wasn't always great. Like a lot of my stuff needed the feedback. And luckily I think even now, like the more you make with every issue, you're just improving your craft. You're getting better at writing. Uh, yes. So I think my work's only getting better now compared to a few years ago. And I think the other thing too, Curtis, is that what's more amazing is that you're, you're open to creative criticism. You know, you want to, okay, I want to do this and I know it's, I'm going to get hard hits, but you know, I'm going to do it because I need to see, because if I want my fan base to grow, if I want to stretch as a writer, I need to see where I need to improve. Definitely. I mean, especially from professionals like Mike March or any of these other great editors, if I'm able to get feedback from them and then I definitely uh, am open to that criticism and take it, uh, you know, you got to take it well. You can't, uh, you can't shy away from criticism. Now, should you be taking critique from like everybody online who who might not like something from every reader? No, but from these professionals who know what they're talking about, then definitely like you need to listen to criticism and it's only going to make your work better as hard as it is to take criticism. Like I want my stuff to be good and I want, to, you know, I want my work to speak for itself and, uh, 
that to, for people to like it and for people to respect it and for it to be good. So the only way to do that is to, to work with these great editors and take that criticism and improve. And then the other thing too about the Kickstarter too is that, again, that I have to say that's amazing that what you did was, you know, um, you know, because it, it's, um, again, you how you broke into comics is then, again, is that, you know, it's like instead of just, going online looking at whatever article pops up about how to do a Kickstarter, you're kind of going, no, I need to find out not only who's doing this correctly, but also too, you're kind of jumping in your feet. Well, not feet first. You're putting your toe into the water by going small and then just grow it from there. Because some of us would just go, wait, I want to make this 80 page comic and throw it on Kickstarter because we always want to go big, right? Yeah, no, I uh, I mean, that was the wild cosmos at first. I wanted to do like 20 issues, 25 issues. So it was also about uh, not being scared to reassess and realize, okay, this is my first comic series. Let's start with like a five issue series. Let's cut a lot of the story. Yeah. Uh, it's probably not my best story anyways. It's my first series. I'm still really proud of it. It was the best work I could do at the time. But yeah, uh, but yeah definitely starting small. Don't try to write a uh, 80 issue series or anything for your first one. Uh, just start small. <laughs> All right. And then um let's see. Um um before I continue on, this is an off-the-cuff question. Do you have any advice to you know any listener who's like they're going, you know, I really want to write comics. You know, I remember, you know, doing pretty well in creative writing class to start a Kickstarter. Any creative advice or any inspirational advice or anything? Yeah, just start writing. Like the same as uh, launching small when you, with your first launch, like launch a first issue and start small with that. But start writing smaller scripts just for practice. Like write a five-page story, write a ten-page story, write a two-page story. All of that is practice and will make you better. Get those scripts reviewed by an editor. You don't even have to pay for art for those, but that you'll learn a lot. But when you're ready to, when you think you have like a little mini series ready, start with a mini series. And throw that first issue on Kickstarter for a goal of maybe anywhere between twenty five hundred and five thousand, and I think that's really doable for your first Kickstarter to build an audience. And then now I'm going to continue on. So may I ask about your um, your own imprint um, to Infinity Studios? How did how did you how did how did that come about? What's the origin of that? Yeah, that's just my my home for all of these uh, self published series. You had to, I had to think of a name and a business, so I just wanted to go with something like uh, to Infinity Studios, just to show that the kind of uh, the sky's the limit, and uh, that it's uh, if I put my mind to it, I can make this stuff on my own through Kickstarter. Now, of course, I would love to always partner with these great publishers. That's what mm -hmm. we did: Beastlands and Dark Horse. Yeah, yes. it started with uh, being self published through my own imprint. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's just my home where. Uh, where I can build this stuff through Kickstarter and publish it myself. Uh, I have a lot of experience doing that through Kickstarter, like you said, with the 15 Kickstarter. So it's all published under my imprint to Infinity Studios. Mm -hmm. But like I that I have to, again, Curtis, like I said, in, every so often you're going to hear, that's amazing, especially with 15 successful Kickstarters in five years. That is just great. You know? Yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, Kickstarters are exhausting. You can feel burnt out after. Like after this one ends tomorrow, I'm definitely going to need a few days just off the internet, just relax and uh, mm -hmm. not look at my phone anymore because you're constantly checking updates and stuff. And then yes. the fulfillment side and shipping, I still do all of that myself. Uh, it's something I'll probably shy away from in the future and work with like a, a warehouse company to help do the shipping for me. But mm -hmm. for now, I still touch every book, wrap every package and bag every comic. It's a lot of work, but uh, worth it for sure. 
but also too, but you know what's also kind of nice too is that, um, you know, it, it's kind of it, like, and I cannot imagine the amount of work you got to put in is just because literally you're a one man company, but you get to see the whole process. You get to do the whole process. So, it, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I have no idea, but what I'm just trying to say is that, so when you work, start working for some, some of the larger companies, at least you might have an idea of how the, how, how the system works, at least some yeah. idea. Totally. Yeah. I think it's uh, like all of this experience has really helped me and helped prepare me for the future where like right now with this dark horse trade, like I don't have to do all that. I don't have to ship all the books and stuff. Yes. And, and uh, but now that I have experience printing books and shipping, like I was able to give a lot of input in the book design for dark horse where I went, really wanted to be like a soft matte cover spot gloss. And I just know a lot about book design that I learned from self-publishing, but also like when you get to the point where you're working with publishers like image where you have to do a lot of that. They, they're not holding your hand. You don't have editors. If you're yes. not at, at one of the imprints, then you just, you're responsible for the marketing. You're responsible for all that. I think Kickstarter is like the most, like the best course you could take in, in working with image. Like I definitely think I'm ready to work with image and uh, just do it all myself and put it out. Like I, I have a lot of experience doing that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to one quick starter question. I forgot to ask you now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I, when I looked at some of your past Kickstarters, it looks like you offer like two or three issues at a time. I, I think that's pretty cool. So, you know, is there a reasoning behind doing that or is it? Okay. Yeah. I started doing that uh, for Beastlands four and five. And the reasoning is it's just Kickstarters are a lot of work and take a lot of time. Like you said, they, they sometimes they run for 30 days or I've done shorter, but I try to stick around that 25 to 30 days. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then you have to fulfill it before launching a new one for that series. So instead, why not get two issues done for the series? And then you're kind of knocking, killing two birds with one stone, as they say, like you're yes. kind of getting two things done. And you're, you're also saving shipping on your backers, like for international backers instead of them having to pay for international shipping for issue four and then pay again for issue five, it's about the same cost for shipping. Like two comics don't weigh that much. So they only have to pay that one shipping fee. They'll get two books. And it's just, you're just really getting a lot done quicker rather than spending, you know, a year to do one Kickstarter for issue four, then another yes. Kickstarter for issue five, you're just getting it done at both. So that's the, that's the one downside of Kickstarter is how long they take, how much work they are. But if you can mm -hmm. knock out two or three issues in one Kickstarter, then it's, I think it's uh, just only beneficial, especially at the point now where I've really built up my audience. Yes. Uh, it's definitely something you have to build to. You can't start out doing that. But now that I've built up the audience and they trust me, they know they're going to get their books and they know the quality. So I think I'm at the point where I can start doing these bigger Kickstarters. That's pretty cool. All right. I'm going to ask you, how excited were you to see your name on your first Kickstarter comic? Oh, it's nothing better, man. Very excited to, to mm -hmm. see that first printed book. Uh, very cool. Very similar to now. Uh, I just got my uh, comp issues from Dark Horse yesterday, and it was uh, very surreal and got a little teary-eyed when I was opening the package and realized it was the Dark Horse comps, like seeing my name on that Dark Horse uh, trade. Very, it's just awesome. It's one of the best parts of the experience is the first time you see the book in print. That's really nice. That really is. And I'm going to say this is the perfect segue to go into Beastlands, Keepers of the Kingdom. Now, may I ask, can you tell the listeners um, what is the, um, the Beastlands um, trade is about, the story is about? 
Yeah, so it's a world, it's a fantasy adventure world where some people have these companion beasts known as keepers. They're about the size of horses. There are these lifelong companion pets. They can die, they can get injured, they can be killed. They are like real pets. They don't have any magical abilities or elemental abilities. As cool as that would be, I try to give it a really original take and it's a really grounded world, even though you have these giant lifelong beasts, but they can, like I said, they can get injured. Uh, it's about a boy that has to save his beast and friends before a king tries to execute all the beasts in the world. Uh, uh, he's dealing with the loss of his daughter and he's kind of taking, uh, taking it out on all of the keepers. And then also, and um, also, well, let me, well, I'm going to hold off that question in a bit. So, and then I'm going to ask like, you know, like how did you come up with this story or what inspired you to write this story? Yeah, like you said, like I, I'm really inspired by things like Pokemon, Princess Mononoke. So all of my influence of growing up went into it. But I try to make a more original role too, where I have these world building rules. Like I said, these these beasts can get killed. They don't have any magical mm-hmm. abilities. But I, I try to put something personal into these stories too, uh, where it's a more, more meaningful story. Uh, and I think readers can connect with it too. If you try to make, instead of just entertainment, like I want my stories to mean something and hopefully people will see the deeper themes. So it was, it's a really about the human and pet bond and relationship. Uh, my dog was hit by a car back in 2016 and she survived, but it was very traumatic. I had to carry her uh, home and I thought she was dying in my arms at the time. It was very traumatic, but she made a full recovery, but, um, but it took a lot of extra care and I really bonded with her more. So that whole experience, I just really influenced Beastlands and that's kind of at the core and heart of Beastlands. Like that was a lot of inspiration for the story. Then I'm just going to ask your dog's name. What's her name? Her name's Ellie. She's a beagle. She just turned six now, fully recovered from the accident. She wouldn't even know that she got hit. I'm so, so... yeah. When I heard about that on the podcast, it's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry to hear about that. Like, oh, yeah, oh. it was uh, it was a lot to go through, but luckily it just, uh, it was, uh, everything went good with the recovery and it just brought me and her closer and she's fine now. So, um, And I'm going to say, like you mentioned this off the cuff, um, because like you mentioned, because I, I, you know, I read the first five issues and I forgot to say thank you very much for the advance, uh, for the advance. Um, oh, of course. Yeah. Thank you very much because, mm-hmm. um, that's one of the things I kind of saw was that, well, and correct me if I'm wrong, because one of the, the um, themes I thought I saw was like the unconditional love between the bonding between the, the keepers, you know, and, 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 uh, and, you know, and their owners, you know, definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like Mac isn't the best companion to start with and he's yeah. kind of hard on his keeper, but you see like by the middle of the series that uh, his keeper still loves him and is there for yes. him even when he needs him the most. And then, I'm going to say we are not going to spoil this, okay? Because our first page was heart was oh my god, it was it was it was heartbreaking. It, it, because you, I you know, we, we there's a picture of a keeper you know, and you could tell it, it's a it's like a, it has a face of a dog and then mm-hmm. that's it. I'm not going to say anything else because oh my god, it sets the story up. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh, a lot of people have a rough time with that first two pages, but uh you know, we really tried to I mean for that especially we really tried to make it so you could kind of sympathize with that keeper and we gave it the face of a dog. It's white, like it's very friendly looking and uh it just makes it hit even harder when you see what happens. So. Oh my god, yes. Okay. Um <laughs> So, like I said, I'm trying to stay away from spoilers or anything else like that. So, I'm going to – oh, let me ask you. So, who are your main characters in the story? 
the main characters are Mac, Evelyn, and Ping. They're a diverse cast. They're all like in the high school age. So they're all teens. They're angsty teens on this adventure. Uh, the kind of through line throughout the series is they're looking for Mac's father and trying to find out what he was after. And then they're kind of getting pulled into these other adventures on the side. So now that's when they're getting pulled into this uh, issue with the kingdom of Griff with this kind of king that wants to execute all the keepers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's very like listeners. This is very it's it's a it's this graphic novel is very good. Our trade is very good. Um, let's see. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna ask. So, is Mac, Ava, and Ping are they based off anyone you know or any? Uh, yeah, anyone that you know in real life or any characters you've seen in movies or TV shows. No, I wouldn't say based off. I guess, I guess, as a writer, like every time you're writing characters, it's a little bit of you and maybe people you've met throughout your life experiences all combined into these. Like you try to make your characters original, but they all—they're all flawed characters in their own ways. Mm-hmm. You know, Mac—he's very selfish, trying to get out of his own ways. Uh, Ava, she's just out to fight, like in very mm-hmm. butting heads with the other two, and uh, even Ping, like she's kind of scared and more mm-hmm. timid and scared to fight on her own. So they all have their own flaws and a lot of room to grow throughout the series, but. Yeah, I guess as a writer, it's a little bit of yourself and just uh, any like interesting characters you met through your life. Okay. And then um, I'm going to go back to, actually, I'll, I'll go through all this, either whether it's the character designs of Mac, Ava, Ping, or the King, or even the Keepers. How did you come up with you know, these designs. Oh, that's a lot of just my co-creator, Joe. She's an amazing artist. And uh, I would give her my ideas for the story and the world. When we first started working, I gave her ideas for these characters, their weapons and their costumes. Mm-hmm. And then she would send me back character concepts and she would send me back a few different options. And some of them would be more fantasy. Some of them would be more realistic medieval. And we usually ended up somewhere in the middle. So it uh-huh. has kind of an original look and feel, but you can, can still kind of see that grounded medieval look. And I think it just fits yes. the series perfect. Yes, it does. And then, now, your artist, I'm going to try to pronounce her, her name correctly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, jo Ming Guang. Is that correct? I, I've sure. never heard it or asked her how to pronounce it, but I think Jo Miang is, uh, mm-hmm. is how. Uh, sorry if I'm getting that wrong, too. Uh, but I think it's how. Yeah, me too. I, I, <laughs> um, I'm, and then how did, um, how, did, um, how did you guys team up? I just found her work through Twitter. I saw some comic pages she did for commissions and obviously loved her work. She's an amazing artist. And at the time she was working in the video game industry doing concepts and stuff, I think. And uh, she actually had never drawn a comic before. I mm-hmm. saw those commission pages, but they were just commissions. Like it wasn't from actually comic work. So I reached out to her and I told her about the Beastlands idea. Like I knew her style would be perfect for this world and for the story. And she took a little time to think about it. And luckily she agreed and we started working on character designs and got into the story. And now she works on comics full time. Like, I think this is her full time job. Now she's done stories for Boom Studios. She's done a few books for them and working mm-hmm. on other stuff too, besides Beastlands. So it's just, uh, just really lucky. You just happened to find her work on social media. Yeah. And then um, before I give my compliments on her art style, I'm just going to ask, May I ask for the listeners, you know, because this, of course, is an audio podcast. Um, can you just, just describe her art style? Yeah, to describe it, it almost has like an anime feel, mm-hmm. like a mix of anime and American, like uh, American comics. Um, yes. it's, it's a very mix of those two. And she colors all of her own work. Like It's really rare to work with an artist where they color and do the line work. And she's exceptional at both. Like her, her pages are beautiful. Her yes. character designs, everything is beautiful. So just super lucky to have a co-creator like that. Yes, I mean, um, because I've seen 
you know, like the splash, you know, I, you know, when Joe did the beautiful splash page of, you know, when Mac is, you know, looking down in the kingdom of Griff at the end of the first issue, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. It blows it, your mind. I mean, I just feel lucky. I mean, it's that's like, another one of the favorite parts of being a comic writer is working with these amazing artists and you get there, you get to see the art first sent right to your inbox and just checking it, uh, you know, whether you see it once a week or every two weeks, it just makes your day when you get to see that beautiful art for the first time. Really fun. Yes. And then, um, you know, and like you said, Joe does her coloring and, um, I'm trying to remember. I want to say I think it was issue four um, in the trade where um, I think it was Ping. It was a splash page of Ping is on the ground, and then there are all these other keepers around Ping. And um, like I remember seeing an elephant, like sort of an elephant-like figure, and so. But it, but the 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 cool thing about Joel's artwork and the colors is that the colors look made it almost like for pain to kind of look like it was some type of a dream state or something it was really nice yeah i mean that's a beautiful spread where you see all the beasts around her and they're kind of saving her and yeah i mean that was fun just we didn't do like full character designs for all of those keepers and beasts mm-hmm. but it was just in my panel descriptions i gave ideas and yeah she just always comes back with something better than i even had in mind mm-hmm. um I'm just going to go back to one question I want to ask was um, actually a couple questions. Actually. Yeah. So um, for Beastlands, you know, I know you talked about a little bit about, you know, the, you know, this is how, you know, um, you know, it's going to be sort of medieval times, the characters and so forth. You know, um, did you like have your own, did you write out your own Bible or did you have like a, an outline of, okay, this is who Mac is. This is what, you know, the, the keepers are. They're, they're not magical creatures. They can look like this yeah, and this. Definitely, yeah. You have those kind of an outline and a lot of story info I write out either in Google Docs or with freehand where you have to write these kind of uh, character descriptions and outline for the story and then a lot of world building stuff. Like it's definitely good to get that stuff down and write it in stone and kind of follow those rules, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're building a brand new world, fantasy world like this. Like you need to get those rules down. It only helps the world and make it feel more realistic. Yes. And then also too... Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. I know you did, you guys created a map of the world, right? As a, one of the Kickstarter tier rewards. Is that correct? Yeah, that was really fun. That was for the Kickstarter for Beastlands 4 and 5. I got to work with a cartographer and he helped me. Uh, he drew the map. He, it was really beautiful. It's going to be printed in our Dark Horse trade, actually, right in the front. So really cool to have it printed in that. And we did a, uh, for, the, for the Kickstarter reward, we did like a really high quality textured paper print of the map. And uh, I got to collaborate with him and kind of help draw it out. And then I had to like name everything and give ideas. So it was a very collaborative process, but a lot of fun. Really cool. Just another thing that's just really cool to make a map for your world. A lot of fun. Holy- Wow, this is I have to say this is amazing. You have a theme song, you have a cartographer that made the map. That is so cool. How did yeah, you get a awesome. hold of him? <laughs> I, I, I it was a lot of work to find like a good cartographer that I went to work with, and uh, it's not something I took lightly. Like I searched for a while online. I think I ended up finding him on maybe ArtStation, uh, seeing some of his work, and luckily he was available and, and uh, really liked Beastlands and was happy to work on it. Oh, that is so cool. And I and um Curtis, I have to say, um you have a it's it's really cool that you have this strong integrity um to make sure that when you 
you know, your product comes out, you want to make sure you get the best people. You know, it, it, it really shows. That's great. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I want things to be, I, I'm really a big fan of quality stuff and I want to work with people who are excited to work on the project. So if it takes a little longer to find someone or it costs a little extra, like it, it's fine with me. Uh, and the most important thing is the quality first. Okay. That's pretty cool. Okay. Um, now I'm going to, now one of the other rewards um, that you, that we talked to, you know, you mentioned about tier reward, you know, the, Kickstarter rewards for the Beastlands um, Kickstarter. Now, in issue three, um, there was a page at the end where it said, in memory of Molly. May I ask, can you talk about that? Yeah, that's for uh, a few of, of the Kickstarters. We haven't done it lately, but some of the old Kickstarters on Beastlands, we did a Beastlandsified commission slot where we would have a few available. And uh, and actually a lot of backers would end up doing it for sometimes pets that passed away. So it was really cool. Uh, we had a few of them that were kind of in memory of on the, on the end of issues. That one was for uh, somebody's, a backer's dog named Molly that passed away. And Joe would kind of recreate the art and draw the backer and, and draw their pet kind of as a Beastlands keeper, kind of bigger, like the horse size with the, the gear on the back. So it's just a great way to kind of immortalize their pet and uh, mm-hmm. help them remember it. And then besides being printed in the book, we send them like a digital high-res version of it. So just, an, just a cool thing we could do. I don't know if we'll do it again, but it was fun uh, the times we've done it. It's a lot of extra work for Joe because she has to really draw the, draw and put a lot of thought into it and respect uh, you know, the backer's pet yes. and everything. But I'm glad we got to do it. It was fun. I mean, um, because when I was reading the issue, that was a really, it was really nice. It was very well done. It really was. Um, so I'm going to throw this off the cuff question. Um, is that page going to appear in the trade as well? No, the, those yeah. aren't going to appear in the trade. Yeah, just uh, when it comes to printing with publishers like Dark Horse and stuff in, in a trade, you're really limited to the number of uh, to the number of pages. So we weren't even able to get all of the variant covers in the back of the book because the, the, the story is already so many pages. So we, mm-hmm. I think we yes. have like three of the variant covers back there. I would love to have them all. I love all the variant covers we've I've done. And then we have some room in the back. We For one of the Kickstarter awards, uh, we did a making of PDF where I worked with the designer, head designer over at Skybound Image. And uh, he helped me make this like six page making of PDF. So that'll be printed in the back of the Dark Horse books. I'm really excited for more people to check that out. Uh, me and Joe kind of give commentary on the character designs mm-hmm. and yes. our process working together. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you, you know, besides Joe, do you want to give shout outs to um, anyone else who, um, who helped you with this, uh, with this amazing book? Yeah. Lorenzo Blangardo. He does all of my logos. He's that B-Sense logo. He does all of my creator owned comic mm-hmm. logos so far. Uh, Milan Vasek. He did the, he's the cartographer who did the B-Sense map. Uh, Mike Mars helped me with some editing on the early issues. So can't thank him enough. Um, Greg Miller and Michael Morecci to give us some pull quotes that are on the back of the book. So, uh, and oh, and our uh, Dark Horse editor Connor Knudsen, uh, he's he's the whole one that put this deal together with Dark Horse. So, I mean, I can't thank him enough for everything. Um, off the cuff question: How? Um, yeah. So, how did you team up with Dark Horse? You know, how did that happen? Yeah, they reached out to me back probably before the pandemic, and it was a long time talking with them. And uh, I think we actually signed the contracts for Vsense before the pandemic even started. So it was a while. We had this in works for a while, and they just had to wait for us to finish issues one through five, which took some time on Kickstarter. Like I said, Kickstarters take a lot of time, so they had to wait for us to finish it. And then even after we finished it, they wanted a lot of lead up and marketing time to kind of promote it and get it ready. Now we're almost here, like less than a month before it comes out now. Yeah. Um. How excited were you when 
Dark Horse came knocking on your door. Ah, man. There's, I mean, at the time, I had only done Kickstarter work. So it was just a dream come true to have a publisher, like, uh, you know, just thought that it could happen. Like, maybe I'm, I'm talking with them. I still had to pitch it to them and they had to take it up the ranks with all the editors. And Mike Richardson had to give the final approval. He's the head yeah. of Dark Horse, the founder. So it was still uh, like, uh, I was very, very nerve wracking, like hoping it would get approved and stuff. But it did. Everything went well and then signed the contract. And then it was still still just a waning game like i couldn't even talk about it like nobody it was years before every it just got announced yes. this past december so it was years before after signing contract it was years before like i could even say that the deal's here and it's done and, and now you can finally talk about it it feels good but now it's just another six months of waiting up to the re- release and now it's less than a month before it's out now so almost there i'm joking on this part and please you know i'm not the please don't take this offense but so can you, so we're like, you know, did your friends go, Hey, Curtis, how you doing today? And you're like, ah, oh, that's all right. And you're kind of <laughs> in the back of your mind going, Oh my God, Dark Horse called me. You know, <laughs> definitely. I, I can't tell you, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It sucks. Like, uh, of course, like the closest people in my life knew, like my girlfriend knew about the uh, whole Dark Horse development, but for the oh, most yeah. part, you just got to keep it under wraps and you can't be uh, talking about it and spilling the beans yet until the official announcement. Oh, yeah. Especially me being my first big book. I didn't want to be responsible for, you know, I'm just playing it by their rules. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Now that the news is out, it just feels good. It's very, very much a relief. Uh, and it'll be even another relief once it's finally released. Oh, that, but that I think that that is so cool. Um, but um, I'm going to ask this question. So Drew from so it's kind of a process question. So Drew comics, the comics for fun and profit um, podcast host, he submitted this question. So um, I know um, you communicate with Joel back and forth through emails. Um, did you, you know, um, did you like? Um, did you give um, complete scripts to Joe um, or how did that work? How did that process work? Yeah, I've, I write complete comic scripts where I uh, page by page, panel by panel, dialogue in every panel, panel descriptions. And uh, so that's just my writing style. Uh, for mm-hmm. the most part, that's kind of the standard in comics, uh, just writing full scripts like that. But I, I leave a lot of room like where I'm open to her making any changes. Like mm-hmm. I completely trust her and she'll send back thumbnails and then I can give any changes from that and send back inks and I can give any changes to that and then colors. But at this point, you know, we've been working together since late 2018. Like it's a pretty smooth wow. process. It's just mm-hmm. sending her the script, getting back awesome thumbnails. Like, okay, go ahead for the inks. And then yeah. another, like I rarely have to change anything. It's, it's very smooth and just a treat to see your art. And yeah, she, she translates the scripts. Um, you know, English is not her first language. She's from mm-hmm. South Korea. So we just communicate through emails. And, but I mean, her English is amazing. Like luckily she speaks a second language. Like I, I only speak one language and uh, we've been mm-hmm. able to make it work. And I think it's a pretty smooth process now. That's pretty cool. Now, um, so I know um, you are a big anime fan. Um now, also to let listeners know, like, you know, um, in issue two, you know, and the reason why I'm going to ask this question, this next question is, I know in issue two, I saw a brown rabbit. The design looks similar to a Pokemon character. Did you guys have fun putting small Easter eggs in the story? Uh, for that one, I think in the panel description, I just said like a, a rabbit thing with like a bunch of tails. Um, yeah. But I think that design was kind of just her. So I don't know if it, if she was influenced by some type of Pokemon or anything, but it does kind of remind me of, uh, I guess there's probably a Pokemon with like a bunch of tails like that. So yeah, that, that's just on her. Like I just my okay. panel description mixed with her imagination. Yeah. 
Okay, because when I saw it, I was like, that looks familiar, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it does have a familiar feel, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's pretty cool. It really is. Um, let's see. Um, now, uh, yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, because if I remember correctly, I think you, you mentioned B-Signs right now is on issues six and seven. Six and seven were successful Kickstarters. Is that yeah, those launched on Kickstarter last summer, and I actually have copies of those already behind me. I'm, I'm about halfway done shipping out those Kickstarter rewards, so the next Kickstarter will probably be for the next two issues. We're still, even with this Dark Horse deal, we still it's all creator owned, so we can still continue to Kickstarter single issue by single issue, and uh, or two issues at a time. And we do really well on Kickstarter, so it's kind of in our favor to do Kickstarter. And then hopefully they'll want to sign Volume Two as well. But yeah, we're already started on Volume Two with the first two issues. Volume Two will be issues six through ten, and uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll sure get to issue ten. Hopefully, we can do more after that as long as uh, we're successful enough. And then, um, and then, like you know, um, um, like how long are you looking to have this series go um, run? It depends. Like I have outlines up to issues twenty-five. Like I think it's such an interesting world yes. that we could really expand on it and show a lot of different parts of the world and show the story. But it also depends on Joe. Like it's a lot of work for her to draw the series. Like uh, she wants time to work on other stuff too. So if she's willing to keep drawing after issue ten, like I'm happy to keep working on it and keep making mm-hmm. keep making more volumes. And even after we wrap up this story, like I have so many ideas for like side stories and beastlands that I think would be a lot of fun. Oh, that is pretty cool. Um, now. You mentioned that you're a Pokemon fan. Um, have you, and you talked about you're thinking of doing a, uh, uh, um, do a Kickstarter for a game in, you know, when you first started all this. Have you toyed with the idea of turning this into a card game like Pokemon? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on something on the side now for, I have been for oh like God. a year or two, but it's, mm-hmm. uh, I just really want it to be good. So I don't know if it'll actually come out. Like I love yeah. card games and board games and video games. So if I could make a video game one day, an indie game, pixel art, like that'd be so cool. But I just really want it to be good. So for this card game to actually come out, like I'd have yeah. to actually like hire somebody to help me play test it. Same thing as like hiring an editor. Like I want to hire a real board game consultant to help me make sure this thing's the best it can be in its quality. Cause I already know like if we get another artist or if we get Joe to do all the character art and the card, it's like i know it'll look amazing but i want to make sure it's fun to play and a little yes. dueling type game but yeah i think beastlands fits itself perfectly for like a card card game type of game it'd be really fun and it's perfect for the franchise curtis i have to say this is amazing i mean you have big dreams you know and it's just and we're only talking about beastland you know theme song cartographer and and you're just thinking, okay, if I if I do this card game, I want to make sure it's right and it's fun. oh my and and it's fun. Oh yeah, God, no, I mean great. I'm a fan of I'm a fan of board games and card games. I love playing them every week. So like, I want my game to be fun to play too. Of course, like you, you, I want it to be good. Yeah, but it, this is great though. This is really great. Um, all right. Um, can you talk about any of your future kickstarters that you have lined up for the rest of the year yeah uh so this one ends tomorrow and it'll be a little bit of relaxation before i'm thinking about a next kickstarter but uh i'm sure i'll be back on there in a few months i'm not sure which series it'll be i'm trying to get the last two issues of wad cosmos on kickstarter soon either that or maybe the next two of beastlands it'll be one of those next probably yeah okay all right now i'm slowly wrapping this up so now i'm joking on this part okay so if robert kirkman you know, listen to this podcast, and let's be honest, he doesn't, you know, because he's too busy. But let's just say he... Hey, I'll send it to him. (laughs) He he sends this on the feed, right? 
he 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 hears this interview and said and you know and he calls you personally not a not a representative not a secretary he personally calls you go curtis how would you like to write a story for skybound do you uh, have do you have and no spoilers do you have a couple pitches ready yeah oh of course as a writer you're always i have a notebook full of ideas and then uh, you know, many of those are ideas that I'll never get to. You, you only get to get, write so many stories in your lifetime. So I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of that notebook I have filled. But even that, I've already taken some of my most favorite ideas. And I think I have the most potential out of that notebook and already putting them, putting them in pitch form. So, uh, I mean, that's like one of my dream publishers image. And I, I love Skybound and Kirkman. So mm-hmm. that'd be a dream come true to, to get a story out with them. And it'd be cool to like try to get like a sci-fi or fantasy pitch out with them. That'd be really awesome. I already have ideas in the works for that. So All right. Okay. But, uh, you know, if Kirkman's listening, just give me a call. <laughs> All right. Um, what is the most fun or exciting thing you love about creating comics? Oh, man, that is just like a collaborative process. Like you're working with such a small team and a lot of other things in Hollywood, like movies and TV mm-hmm. and uh, these bigger video games, like AAA video games. It's, it's such a big team. And throughout the process, uh, a lot of it probably gets watered down with so many people giving input. Mm-hmm. Um, with this, it's such a small team that uh, you don't have any executives or anything trying to change it. Like it's just how me and Joe want it and mm-hmm. our letter and stuff mm-hmm. and the designer. Like it's, it's such a small team. It's such an authentic story. It's it's not getting watered down. It's what we want to make. All right. Um, favorite convention moment, either as a fan or a creator? Oh, man, that's a good question. Favorite convention moment. Um, I would probably just say when, when people are just excited to come buy your books, when people are returning, they bought it at a convention before or they bought it from Kickstarter and then meet you at a convention and they tell you how much they loved it and want to buy more. They come back every year to, to see you to buy more. Like that's just nothing better than that. And then even uh, I went to Rose City Comic Con in Portland once and somebody bought my comics there and then they sent me a message on Kickstarter. They actually backed their first Kickstarter to support me after buying my stuff at the convention. So stuff like that is just really cool. Just seeing the support and everybody's so friendly and nice it's really cool that is pretty cool all right um do you have um um do you have an um like do you have a convent uh upcoming convention appearance or store signing appearance like in the fall or anything Oh yeah, I'm going to be doing a lot of comic signings and bookstore signings in the next month. Uh, everything got kind of delayed, so I don't have anything set in stone yet with the uh, the book shipping delays by like two weeks. So I'll be I should be at a few comic shops at the end of June, and then hopefully uh, my local Barnes and Noble in Orange County here uh, for the for the Dark Horse signing in uh, early July. Um, I'm hoping to make it to uh, San Diego Comic Con in in July. Waiting to see if I got a table. I, I just went to San Diego Special Edition the first, in this past October. That was my first time at San Diego Comic-Con. And that one was a little watered down. It was a special edition, first time after COVID having a yeah. show. But uh, hopefully I'll be able to make it this summer to like the real thing. And I'll be, also be at LA Comic-Con this December. And hopefully I'll be able to fly out to New York Comic-Con this fall. Waiting to see if I get into that one too. That'd be nice. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, make yeah. a return to the East Coast. And uh, I've never been to New York Comic-Con. I know it's one of the biggest shows too. So that'd be really fun. Yeah. Um, off the cuff question. I know you said that you kind of went down to like a watered version of um, San Diego Comic Con last year. How how exciting was that for you? It was still years? awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, anytime you get to travel for shows, I live in Orange County, California, so it's just a two hour drive for me. And anytime mm-hmm. traveling for shows, staying in hotel, just it's just a fun experience and it's a blast. Like, 
you know, just hanging out in a, a new city, getting to sell comics, make new fans. And at San Diego Comic-Con, it's such like a notable show. Uh, even though it was watered down, it was still so much fun. And I think that was one of my first shows back after COVID, like after almost two years with no show. So it was just great to have them back. Hopefully they're here to stay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, have you and your family been to Hawaii? I went once with uh, with my mom and my two brothers back in, uh, I think I was in eighth grade at the time, and I wow. loved it. Yeah, I went to Oahu, uh, stayed yes. uh, a little outside Honolulu, mm-hmm. and loved it. Beautiful place. I hope to return one day. Oh, okay. All right. Um, last question. Any closing words to our listeners? I uh, no no closing words just uh you can follow me at curtis cloud the beastlands dark horse book is uh on amazon and bookstores and july 12th you can pre-order it already now uh you can get it early two weeks early on june 29th if you talk to your local comic book shop always good to support them and you can call them to order it now um other than that i think that's about it so now for listeners you know i've i've read the first five issues of beastlands it's very good it really is um to me there's a lot of layers in the story you know um you know as i touched upon it's like in the unconditional love between unconditional love and bond between an owner and their and their keeper it's very good um to me also too it's um about you know how two people deal with um personal loss Mm -hmm. it's very good yeah so Thank you. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. That's just awesome to hear. No, no, just that Curtis, I, you know, I just want to Curtis, you know, um, I wish you all the success with Beastlands keepers of the kingdom. And I wish you all the continuing success with your future Kickstarter campaigns. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. And mahalo. Thank you in Hawaiian for, you know, for your time and giving me the opportunity to interview you. You know, if you are a new comic book reader and a, or a lifelong comic book reader, please check out Beastland Keepers of the Kingdom from Dark Horse. It's a, um, it'll, it's a trade paperback that will be released on June 29th in comic, sh- um, comic shops and in bookstores on July 12th. Or when you listen to this episode, it's out in stores right now. If your local comic shop doesn't have it at that time, please ask them to order it. Um, I want to thank Drew, the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit, for putting this episode together. Drew, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. Thank you very much. And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. RLCS is Cowabunga Comics out of Oconomowoc. Wisconsin, and their mail order company, Deep Discount Comics. Um, and we went there, and, and we were actually invoice number 0001. We are the we were the very first, <laughs> their very first customer, um, which was kind of cool. They've been nothing short of fantastic, customer service wise. Discounts they were very close, if not the same or better than DCBS on a lot of things. Um, over mm-hmm. and above uh, customer service wise, always taking care of us, going the extra mile, so responsive, getting instantaneous uh, responses back to uh, questions about things and to the point where knowing the stuff you like and anticipating your needs and having it suggested to, that you might want to add this to your order already 
before you even have to think about about it. That's kind of cool. Really quality experience. So we we love working with Cowabunga and Deep Discount, and that's why they're in our show notes every single episode and have been for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes mm-hmm. that we leave them there because we like them. They're cool, good people. That's why they're in there. By God, they'd tell you to if you've got a local comic book shop that you love, stay with them because every, everybody needs to support their local comic shops. But if you're looking, check them out. You can check them out in, in the show notes. There's plenty of ways to get a hold of them. Either get on their list just so you can check and see what kind of FOC and pre-order stuff they have and the discounts, and they'll send it to you um, each month, get you on that email list. And you can check out their shop because they have a great shop of exclusive Cowabunga mm-hmm. variants. Amazing stuff. Yes, they've always been there for us, and we take them for granted. So there you go. Now you, now you know. <laughs>